month to live. Not because we're, we're nearly there, coming to the end of our, our journey. Not to the end of our lives, just the end of this little journey. A journey asking ourselves the question, what would you do if you knew you only had one? We imagine that most of us are in that situation. But in order that we might live the rest of our lives taking the moments that God does give us, however long or short they might be, and use them intentionally and purposefully uh, for Him. I began, you'll remember, uh, this series, the very first uh, Sunday, uh, talking about living the dash, and I used as one of the examples uh, Jade Goody, and how her awareness that her days were short altered her perspective, which in turn altered her actions and changed the choices that she made. And strange that she should be... Uh, Uh, buried yesterday. A reminder that it doesn't just go on and on. It's not always like this forever. But God's given us a moment. He's given us a, a gift. We call it the gift of life. That's the gift He's given. And He invites us to give Him a gift in return. If His gift to us is life, how we use that gift is our gift back to Him. What kind of gift? will ours be. And so whilst we're coming to the end, it's always a beginning. Have you noticed that in the Bible, that with God an ending is never really an ending, it's just a new beginning. That Jesus talked like that about his own life. He said it's looking like it's coming to an end, but really it's just the beginning. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, if it comes to an end, it produces many seeds. And all of God's endings are like that. Every single one of them is simply a new beginning. Which is why we have such hope together in this journey that we are on. Doctors are always trying to come up with uh, new medicine so that we might add years to our lives. But Jesus placed the emphasis somewhere else. Jesus' emphasis that was that we might add life to our years. I don't know whether you saw on the television last night the 97-year-old who uh, took a parachute jump. Somebody must have seen it. It wasn't just only on my table. Eric saw it. Fantastic. I don't, know, I don't know what's holding us back, you know. So 97 years of age, never jumped out of an aeroplane before, and away he went. And uh, he's going to do it again when he's 100, so he said. Uh, with a big smile over his face. Wow. Jesus came to add life to our years, not simply years to our, our, our lives. And as this verse that we've been repeating with the children over these weeks uh, remains true, we know that He's come to give us life, but we know that wherever that gift is offered, there are thieves, and a thief in particular, that has about his business of robbing it from us. And as we've noted before over these weeks, so often we don't need the thief's help to rob that life from us. We're pretty good at stealing it from ourselves and robbing one another of it. So how can I therefore live with such a tight grip on my life that I can live, as the title suggests, a life with no regrets? How can I be certain that when I get to the end, I don't have a long list of things I I wish about? but I have a list of things that I'm grateful to God about. And so we pick up these verses in Jeremiah. Maybe you'd like just to have it open still in front of you that uh, Hilary read to us. 
And God is giving Jeremiah a visual aid to get his message across. He says, Jeremiah, it's like this. Go down to the local potter and watch what you see the potter doing. And just in case Jeremiah's a bit slow and doesn't get the, the imagery or the metaphor, uh, God identifies himself as the potter. So unlike some of these plays where I go to and it's all a complete blur and you get to the end of it and I've still got no idea what happened uh, before my eyes. Or like uh, Inspector Morse where you've still got no idea who did it after the whole thing's ended. God makes it really plain. I'm the potter. Now if God's the potter, who's the clay? Wow. Yeah, we are. We're way out in front this morning, aren't we? You see, so we're right there. That's it. This is the image. God's the potter. We're the clay. And I want to ask three questions that come out of this image of God being the potter and we being the clay. And imagine what Jeremiah saw, the, the potter working the pot. Many of you will have seen that. And you can imagine the potter working carefully, intentionally, deliberately on this pot, on this piece of clay. The first question is this. What will be the centre of my life. We all have something that's at the center of our lives. We we cannot live otherwise. It might be it might change from time to time, it might be a thing or a person, but we've all got something there right at the center of our lives. It's what draws us, it's what captivates us, it's the song that we sing, it's the handbag we dance around, it's what grips us, excites us, it's the core values around which we go on to make other decisions and choices in our lives. Now, you can write what I know about pottery making on the back of a postage stamp, but I do understand that the clay needs to stay at the centre of the wheel, or two things will happen. If the clay doesn't stay right at the centre of the wheel, the shape that is being produced will be lopsided in some way. Worse, as the clay moves away from that centre of gravity on that spinning wheel, what will happen if it gets too far away? You physicists. Whoosh! Right off, smack, on the floor somewhere. The clay has to stay there, rooted right at the centre. We need to be right at the centre of the potter's wheel. Right in the middle of what the potter is doing with his hands. So God being the song that we sing. God being the one we dance with. The one who grips and excites us. God being the one around whom and for whom the rest of life's choices and values are made. God moulding us, shaping us into the pot that seems best to him. To him. I don't want to be left a marred pot. Do you? The pot was marred, we're told. We don't know why it was marred. It was deformed in some way. I want to be the shape that's best to him. For as long as I am the shape or becoming, that's all I can ask for, becoming the shape that is best to him, I am becoming the shape that is best for me. There is no better shape for me to be than what is best for him. 
In fact, Isaiah puts it like this. Yes, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. What more can I ask for than to be the work of his hands? The moment I think that somehow I've got a better definition of what's best for me than the potter has, I've totally inverted the image and made a nonsense of what Jesus is trying to say. We're just the clay. And sometimes we get confused about that, don't we? It's like what we were saying a few weeks ago, you know, God is in heaven and we are on earth, so let our words be few. God's in heaven filling the whole space. We're just here, finite, trapped in time, so who knows best? Whose words are going to dominate our lives? His or ours? We're just the clay. Sometimes with attitude, though. Have you noticed? We are the clay behaving like with a potter. And I grab my life back. I take it into my own hands. I want to make my own choices. I act like the true perspective is the way that I see it. Clay can't possibly do that in a potter's hand. It's all backwards, all the wrong way around. And I wonder why I'm stressed. Sometimes being on that wheel, though, is really hard. There's a marred bit of the pot and, and we don't know why, what, what, what caused it in, in this illustration. But we know that when there are marred and painful things in our lives and the potter starts working on those painful areas, I'm tempted to walk away. I'd love just to crawl off the wheel. I want to take my life back into my own hands. And when I say that, I know that's ridiculous. I know what a nonsense that is. But I behave like that sometimes. When the potter's working on a hard, painful bit, when, when he's, he's, he's going to make something beautiful out of that, if only I'll let him. But hey, I'm not sure, and I, I want to walk away. I want to get off the wheel. Somebody let me out. But I'm acting like I know better than the potter. I'm acting like it's all the wrong way around. I'm acting like my perspective is the true one. I'm acting that I know what's best and the potter is making some poor reflection. I must remember I'm clay. I must remember he's the potter. I must remember that I am my very best as the work of his hands. So the life of no regret is this life to stay at the centre. Am I going to do everything to stay at the centre? I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with what the potter wants to do. I'm going to stick with the way the potter is moulding me. I'm going to stay right there in the middle. Actually, sometimes being in the middle of that wheel feels really risky because the potter's working on these painful areas. But actually, I need to remind myself every day, right in the centre of that wheel is the safest place, isn't it? If I start to move to the edge, I'm likely to fly off smash against the wall of the potter's house. It's not that it's over then, but it's a lot more work to do to get me back. I've got to stay at the centre of the potter's hands. As I stay in the centre, as we stay in that centre place, God will work as we are willing in us. So that what the psalmist said might be true of us. The Lord's done this and it's marvellous in our eyes. There's something fantastic about there being a part of your life that God's dealt with and you know you couldn't have done that yourself. You know you couldn't have fixed that. You're so thankful that it's fixed. 
It's marvellous in your eyes and maybe in others too. And you know that the Lord has done it. Wouldn't that be a fantastic thing to say when we get to the end of our lives? Hey, the Lord did that. That's amazing. Amazing in our eyes. To be most fully the work of his hands, to live most fully with no regrets. I've got to stay there, right at the centre. What will be the centre of my life? Second question that comes out of this image of uh, the potter. Help us to reflect on how we might live without regrets. goes like this. What will be the character of my life? What will be the character of my life? As much as I would like to think differently, and you would, I'm sure, God is more interested in my character than in my comfort. It's a shame that, isn't it? What was the mar on the pot? A bit of grit, a bit of stone, and every time the, 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 it went round the wheel, it was creating a groove. Maybe it was some inconsistency in the clay. The clay was too wet or it was too dry. Uh, what, what was it? But there was this flaw, this mistake in the clay. Jeremiah uh, can see it. The potter's there and he's working on this imperfection, this mar. And as this mistake in the clay is revealed, what does the potter do? Well, he takes the imperfect clay and he throws it away. Takes a fresh bit of clay and he starts again. Sometimes we feel like God's done that with us. That's not what it says, is it? You're looking at me like you're not sure. He takes the broken bit of clay, the marred bit of clay, the clay that's inconsistent, the clay that isn't working right, and he works it all the more. He sticks with the clay that he has. Hallelujah. And he works it. He reshapes it. He remolds it. He remakes it. The Bible calls it redeeming. He redeems it. He saves it. He rescues it. He saves the parts of me that are not what they should be, which is all of me. The third chance. The fourth chance, the fifth chance, the umpteen chance. He never gives up reshaping. He never gives up reworking, redeeming. He keeps working the clay as long as we stay on the wheel. He keeps believing in us when we stop believing in ourselves. See, maybe there are some of us here this morning and you're thinking, well, it feels like Because of this issue, because of that, I'm off the wheel. God never takes you off the wheel. He works the clay to make out of all that you are everything He longs for you to be. And maybe you're thinking this morning, well, hey, I'm not even sure I believe in God. Kind of me wants to say today, that's okay, even if this morning you don't believe in God, because God believes in you. The master potter believes he's able to create a masterpiece out of you. And maybe we're picking up where we were a fortnight ago when Peter was outside the city wall, weeping, thinking that his failure was fatal. 
You think that somehow your failure is so bad, you're not even on the wheel anymore. Too marred, too imperfect. The master potter is ready to make a masterpiece out of each one of us. And hey, he already knows where all the mars, the mistakes, the imperfections are in the clay. There are no surprises about you to him. That's a relief, isn't it? There's nothing you can say to God this morning that will take him by surprise. There's nothing you can reveal to him that he does not already know. You need to tell him, yes, we call it confession. You need to tell him because it's about honouring God and your life before him so that he can deal with it. You don't need to tell him because he doesn't know. You're there, pot that's marred, but you're on the wheel. And he's working you with his hands. If we stay there, on the wheel, shaping as seems best to him. Can we ask for more? Can we ask for more that the source of all life and the fount of all knowledge, the true being from which all beauty flows, would personally reshape me with his own hands? Can I ask for more from God than that? Hello. He doesn't send some minion to sort me out. There isn't a picture, is there, of the potter's house, the chief potter sitting behind the desk in some kind of managerial capacity with all the minion potters going around. No, the potter who is identified clearly as God in the Bible, that there might be no mistake, with his own hands. The hands that flung stars into space. Hands that to cruel nails surrendered. Moulding me. <clears throat> Us. In his own hands. Can I ask for more? Can I ask for more than to say, God, I, I'm going to stay right in the centre. If you'll do that for me, if you, those hands are scarred and marred so that you can mould me and reshape me in honour of all you've done, I'll stay on the wheel. I'll stick with your work. Even when it's painful. And even when it's hard. Sometimes though, we make it almost impossible, don't we? For the potter to mould us. That happens with the clay. The clay gets hard. It becomes unusable, unmoldable. It's all dried up. Like the Play-Doh you made last week and you left it out and you go back to it and it's all dried and brittle. Maybe that's where we are this morning. We're desperately trying to stay on the centre of the wheel. We're working really hard to stay right in the centre of the potter's hands. But our hearts have become hard. Our lives have become brittle. And the potter can't really mould us. We're there, gritted teeth. But he can't really mould us. Just as the clay needs a good soaking then. Just as the clay needs to be drenched afresh in the the water that will make it supple and malleable and usable again. So God says, "I'll, I'll drench you with my living water. I'll embrace you with my love that you might be soft and supple and malleable, flexible, ready and able to be willing, uh, ready and willing to be moulded by the potter. And that's what he's doing. 
when I let him do that, what will be the character of my life? It takes us right back to where we began this morning when we talked about needing to stay at the centre of the wheel. Because one of the major flaws in all of our characters is the way that we compartmentalise our lives. We easily think of our lives like a pie with different slices. One slice of the pie might be work, the other slice of the pie might be family or friends, another slice might be church, another slice might be sport. We might even give God a slice. And in each of these different slices, we can develop, if you notice, slightly different personas. And different sides of us become more dominant. We can even have different values when we're operating in these different slices. We behave differently according to the context. It's a flaw in our characters. It lacks integrity, as we talked about a few weeks ago, about all being joined together, our life being uh, all integrated, everything joining up. But when we have these different slices, and when we put a different side to our persona forward, or, or is dominant in these different slices, we're not integrated, we're not all joined up. We lack integrity. Maybe you work for a big organisation like the NHS or the County Council or social services or whatever and frequently in big organisations where there are various departments. So often in essence the reason the whole organisation is nothing like as powerful and as effective as it could be or should be is because of the coordination, the joined up thinking between the various departments. We hear that over and over again in all kinds of different organisations. And we might frequently, frequently lament that there is no joined up thinking therefore across the whole of that particular organisation. And we recognise that it's weaker because of that. We recognise it's not as effective because of that. We recognise that the potential of the organisation is limited. And so in our lives, when it's not joined up, when it doesn't all fit together, when we're slightly different here and slightly different there, when we fail to integrate... What's the answer? The answer is to be moulded by the potter who is making one complete shape. To work it all together into a single piece. Now one of the areas that we find really hard to integrate with our faith is our work. Most of us will say, Um, Well, first of all, sometimes you hear people say, hey, I'm different at work, or I'm different at school, or I'm different there than I am here. And some of the biggest struggles we have sometimes is integrating our faith into what we do at work. It's an area, many of you will say, where I'm least likely to be able to effectively integrate my faith, and that's in the area where I work. And that's why in two weeks' time, we want to begin talking about this initiative from the REACH team called Integrate. Because actually God has placed us where he's placed us for a reason. And where he's placed us in our nine to five or our eight to six or whatever it might be, uh, and it's not about paid, it's about responsibility. What you do in your ordinary everyday life. 
Where God has placed us is not simply a slice, alongside which God has a slice and our family has a slice. But where God has placed us is part of the shape God is making with his hands that covers the whole of our lives. So how do I bring what God is doing in my life into that area of my life? Into the workplace in this context, or others, others of us might be uh, uh, thinking about other contexts. And so after Easter, we're going to begin to look at that both on the Sunday and then in our small groups for a couple of uh, uh, times together. What does it mean for the potter to be weaving his purpose through the whole of my life? Because that's what Jesus said. He said it's like this, really. You've got to love God, and you've got to love God with everything. It's got to be about the whole of your life. Every dimension, every facet of it. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. No slices, no different faces, no different behavior because of different contexts. But one life. God at the center, molding his beautiful purpose. Palm Sunday is a huge, worrying example of this, isn't it? How easy it was for them on the Sunday to shout Hosanna and to welcome the King. How easy by Friday to have completely changed their minds about Jesus because they hadn't understood. And so in one context they sing praise and in another context they shout crucify him. We go, how can they possibly do that? But I think really we know how easy that is to behave differently because we're in a different place or because we're with different people or because we're in a different context. What will be the character of my life? And one final question, very briefly, what will be the contribution of my life? The potter was making something useful. What would the pot hold? Would it hold cooking materials? Would it be used for carrying water? Would it be used for storing food or grain? What was it for? What we can be certain of is that it wasn't for decoration. God's masterpieces are never to be put on the mantelpiece. They're to be admired and dusted once a week or once a month or even longer, depending on your routine. What we can be certain is that it wasn't for decoration. That's not why it was there. This was a pot that would be used for the purpose that the potter had in mind. Created in Jesus Christ to look good, just as well, isn't it? To look good? No, not at all. Created in Christ for good stuff, for good works, for something that's purposeful, redeeming, kingdom stuff. And we hear in life that there are two kinds of takers, people say. There are two kinds of people. There are the givers and there are the takers. And we hear about people not being remembered for what they take. At least not in a positive sense. But people are remembered for what they give. Now there's no one like you. God is making a unique part. No one shares your footprint or your voice print or your fingerprint. You are one in six billion there or thereabouts. And God has a purpose. And so as we draw this series to a close, celebrating next week on Easter Sunday, we're right back to that first question, that little dash. 
the end of my life, there'll be these two dates and then this little dash that will sum it all up. What will that dash mean for me? What contribution will I have made? We enter this Holy Week, and I, I don't know, perhaps you gave up on the Bible readings a long time ago. Perhaps you're still with them. I'm going to ask you this week, if you'll pick up those Bible readings again, just a chapter a day in Mark's Gospel, take you right through Holy Week, through the, the, the crucifixion and all that happened through to the resurrection. I ask you this week to read just a chapter a day and to allow what happened to Jesus all those years ago to speak to you a, a, a new way, in a, in a fresh way, to, to walk with Jesus, to get inside the story, to smell it, to see it, to feel it. To see it from the crowd's point of view. To see it from Jesus' point of view. To look at it from the point of view of the leaders and the chief priests and the scribes. To look at it from the temple uh, uh, traders who didn't know what had hit them. To look at it from all these different angles. He should not have been there, you know. On every day of the story, he should not have been there. On every moment of the story you will read, he need not have been there. But for every moment, he chose to be there for you and for me. And I invite you this week to slow down, to stop, to consider all he did, all he was, all he gave. And to ask yourself the question, when I meet him, when I see him face to face, when I see his hands and his feet, when I gaze into his eyes, and know that in some way his gaze can see the whole of my life, what will I have wanted that life to have been? What will I want him that day to see? What will I want him to be able to say? And so choose every moment of my day to bring my life into line with what I want it to be that day. And maybe for some of you, you think, yikes, I'm not even sure I know him. The thought of him seeing me is a terrifying thought. You need to understand this Easter that he gave his life for you. He gave his life for you that he might see the whole of your life, but not hold it against you. Utterly amazing. We're holding things against each other all of the time. And yet he says, I, I, I'm dying, I'm taking it all on myself. That if you put your trust in me, when you see me, I will not hold it against you. What do you want him to see? Imagine this week that your life is caught up in that gaze. Make it your daily reflection this holy week. And allow the things that the potter brings to the surface to be remoulded and reshaped by the work of his hands. I don't know of a better way for us to respond to all that God has done and all that he has given, to be moulded and shaped by the Christ who gave himself for us. Let's pray.